It was Jackie Robinson who said, "You have to be a man to be a big leaguer, but you have to have a lot of little boy in you too." Our next guest certainly has a man's job. He makes prison inmate uniforms, but his boyish enthusiasm for horse racing has led him to success as both a handicapper and an owner. And one of his fillies may run for the lilies on the first Friday of May. We'll have all that plus an update on the Kentucky Derby Trail on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gate. They're in the gate. In the gate. They're in the gate. It's a head-bobbing finish. This is In the Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In the Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us on the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In the Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full in the gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. You have to be something of a gambler to get involved in horse ownership, but that doesn't mean all horse players actually get to be horse owners. Evan Trommer is one of those. This Lexington, Kentucky guy is a savvy handicapper. In fact, he's already qualified for next February's National Handicapping Challenge. But reading charts and graphs about horses and races. Isn't the same as walking over to see your own horse in the flesh, especially when she's as good as Princess Warrior. Princess Warrior's tucked away at the rail, trying to find a seam down inside, cuts the corner and grabs second right off the turn. But Mia Mischief is the one to catch, turning for home in a two and a half length. Now a two length lead as Princess Warrior's closing in quickly. One furlong to go. Mia Mischief. Princess Warrior's putting in a challenge on the outside. Time is running out though. Mia Mischief's half length lead is gone. Here's Princess Warrior, who surges past and wins it under the wire by two in the end. Princess Warrior is trained by Ken McPeak. And while her only win came in her career debut last September at Churchill, as you heard, she finished second in the Grade One Alcibiades right afterward at Keeneland, and in her most recent start, she finished third, albeit a distant third, in the Gulfstream Park Oaks. Right now, Princess Warrior still has an outside chance to make it into the Kentucky Oaks, and a win there would almost feel like a get-out-of-jail-free card for a guy who owns a company that makes clothing for prison inmates. And we welcome owner Evan Trommer here to win the gate. How do you separate being a handicapper, where you're not supposed to really involve emotion in analyzing races, with owning a horse in flesh and blood? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, the two don't cross paths as much. I, when I have my handicap hat on, so to speak, I go by my methods, and I try not to let anything involve in it. I, if anything, I think it's a little bit of an advantage. I think it helps me to understand how the odds are if I recognize certain ownerships and things like that, where I know you know maybe they're playing their horse a little bit heavier, and that might change the odds a little bit. So I, I try to counter that bias uh, wherever I can. And certainly, you know, if I have a horse running, it's something where uh, it's in the contest. I of course disclose that, and then my hands are tied on that. If I'm if I'm obligated to bet that race, then uh, you know I can only bet my horse, and and, and of course do so. But I don't let it get the best of me when it comes to handicapping. How often do you find yourself entering handicapping contests? 
all the time. You know, I'm already double qualified for the NHC this year. I was fortunate enough down at the NHC in Vegas. I don't know how familiar you are with that, but they have a first team last chance. And I actually won one of the uh, three spots for this next year's handicapping contest and then followed it up a couple of weeks later. And I was successful in winning another tournament. So I got both of my entries. So I do play it. And now, because I had some early success this year, I'm in the top 10, or at least I was the last time I checked. I'm in the top 10 of the NHC, so I'm trying to play those each week. Now, what if Princess Warrior is entered in a race that's being used for the 2019 NHC? Well, uh, once again, you know, you have to fully disclose that. They either give you an alternate race so I don't play it, or uh, if I do, I have to play my horse, which I would anyway. Now, you own Princess Warrior with your sons, Matt and Drew. What has that experience been like? Uh, absolutely phenomenal. This is their first horse. They've been involved in horse racing before they knew they were involved in horse racing. I've got pictures of them, you know, in, in my arms or my wife's arms when they were just babies, you know, in front of some of our race horses. But they have taken to the industry. They both absolutely love it. They're handicappers as well. The, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So this horse, to be as successful as she is, wherever she settles in, she's definitely outrunning what we paid for her. And uh, what a great way to jump in. Evan Trommer is our guest here on In the Gate. He's the co-owner of standout Philly Princess Warrior. Now, you said she's named for a saying on your wife's coffee mug. Some days I'm a princess, some days I'm a warrior. Choose wisely. So how involved do you get with her management, or do you leave all that to trainer Ken McPeak? Good question. I guess I'd be considered a typical owner. I definitely want to say in where she's racing, but I try to let Kenny make all the decisions. Certainly, if it's anything to do with the welfare of the horse, if there's anything that uh, he sees that, you know, we have to be concerned about, and, if you know, he doesn't want to push towards something, or he does, uh, I let him make all those decisions. As far as strategy of what race to go go in, I definitely weigh in on that, and, you know, he's good about letting me have my say. How similar or different are your philosophies about that sort of thing? Kenny's a smart horseman. He's been at it for years. He's had success at the highest level. We don't always agree, but we always come to a um, mutual decision. And there may have been a couple of times where, you know, we weren't perfectly on the same page, but, you know, we've come to that decision and said, yeah, let's go for it. So, you know, I think there's good harmony there. I'll always yield to Kenny if he's absolutely passionate about one thing or another. But, you know, we try to we try as hard as we can to make the decision together and support one another on that. So uh, 100% in agreement, no, but we always get to the decision together. You know, if your day job making clothing for prison inmates doesn't work out, you could be the backup to Kurt Becker, because every time now I hear your voice, I feel like I'm talking to Kurt Becker, the voice of Keeneland. <laughs> I, w- I would take that as a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> now, you've owned a few horses over the years, including some good ones like Catman Blue, third in the 2010 Breeders' Cup Juvenile Philly Turf. How big is your stable, and what kind of horses are you looking for? Well, I'll go back a little bit further than that. One time I had a stable of uh, 25, 30 horses. Like many owners, I've gone up and I've gone down. Right now, it's really just uh, this horse. And we're looking to add, you know, another horse or two probably this year and uh, maybe in the next year. My MO is probably going to be to own three to five horses as we move forward. 
you know, we've had some really successful horses. Catman Blue was one of them. We were the minority partner on that. That was really somebody else's horse. And she was a great filly and a, and a thrilling horse. But, you know, this horse is really kind of the family horse uh, amongst, you know, our family. And, you know, we've got other family members and friends that are very closely tied to the horse as well. And then, you know, going back about 10 years now, had a horse called Black 17, which was an absolute thrill. So I was the majority owner on that horse. And he took us to the Breeders' Cup and to Dubai as well. And he won the grade one bond for Have you allowed yourself to dream what it would be like to win a graded stakes with Princess Warrior? You know, I'd love to. And I think it's within her realm, you know, uh, whether it's a grade one or a grade two or a grade three. Look, we went into the Gulfstream Oaks and, you know, I would say that I was largely responsible for pointing us towards the Gulfstream Oaks versus the Ashland. It was definitely a a tough decision, but I really went into the Gulfstream Park Oaks thinking we were going to win that. And, you know, the Philly got a little bit warm coming up to the post. And uh, I think that affected her a little bit. And I'm not sure. I mean, she she shipped to Keeneland since, and she's just bouncing off the walls now. So I don't know if she was a little off that day, but, um, you know, I really expected her to win that race. Well, as the saying goes, a good horse and a good owner can come from anywhere. And thank you so much for a few minutes and the best of luck with her down the road. Thank you. We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, the big boys are in action. Bolt Oro in the Santa Anita Derby. We'll have all the reaction from a big weekend of prep, so don't go away. Welcome back to the In the Gate podcast. You'll be hearing a lot over the next month about the curse of Apollo the last horse to win the Kentucky Derby without racing as a two-year-old. It hasn't happened since 1882. There'll be two horses in this year's Derby, most likely, with a chance to break that streak. One of them raced last weekend. We'll talk about him in a little while. That would be Justify. The other is Magnum Moon, and his final Derby dress rehearsal comes this weekend in Arkansas. Magnum Moon has taken over the lead. He's two lengths in front from title ready. Combatant splits horses. Solomini's got to go from there to the outside end. Higher power and Magnum Moon comes to the 16th pole. And now he's three in front. Combatant and Solomini chase him to the wire. It is Magnum Moon undefeated and a rebel winner. Before we get to the Kentucky Derby, though, Magnum Moon has a date to face Solomini in the Arkansas Derby. And so to look ahead at the Arkansas Derby and review the big prep races that happened most recently, we bring in our friend Pete Perkins of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. And it's good to have you back with us here on In the Gate. So let's start with the Arkansas Derby. Magnum Moon looked terrific winning the Rebel in March. What do we think he got out of that race? And how do you see the Arkansas Derby shaping up? You know, obviously he got the fitness benefit of running hard race and i think sometimes among non-horse racing people that's that's sort of people don't understand that horses get better when they run it's like a a workout a really good workout in fact i think it's funny i asked wayne lucas about this recently and you know he's been around and he goes that's worth about three or four good works that's what a race does for you so it's it does have a great fitness benefit and that's an impressive-looking horse, well-bred. You know, it looks like it has everything that it needs genetically to run the distance 
you know, the, can it make a mile and a quarter? That's what they all ask, of course, this time of year. And, you know, it looks like, sure, it should be able to. Now, of course, Magna Moon will have to take on Salamini for Bob Baffert. And as you know as well as anyone, Bob Baffert loves shipping horses in from California to Arkansas to do well. Did somebody say American Pharaoh? Now, Salamini's been kind of under the radar in Bob Baffert's stable. What kind of opposition do you think he'll pose for Magna Moon? Oh, well, you've watched The Rebel, and, and I hope we have a nice fast track. There is some rain in the forecast this week. I I didn't think he looked all that great in the Rebel Stakes. I thought he was sort of dominated by Magnum Moon. Yeah, so we'll see. Can he step forward? I don't know. Of course, that horse is not here. I mean, I guess it's here now. But you know, so it's not like I've been able to talk to Bob every day about how it's progressed. So we'll see. Uh, Steve Asmussen has a horse that finished third in that race just you know, back ahead, maybe even a nostril behind Solomini, and that was Combatant, which I think is his best horse this year. And you ever heard a lot, a lot of talk about it, but it's finished, what, second or third in all of its uh, derby prep races so far. So watch for Combatant this coming weekend. Now, of course, Magnum Moon won't be the only horse trying to break the dreaded jinx of Apollo. There's this little horse on the West Coast called Justify. Prodigious talent matches established class. It's Justify by length and a quarter. Boltoro taking a run at him, but really having to be pushed on by Castellano. Smith looks confident on Justify reaching the top of the stretch. Justify leading past the eighth pole. He's a couple of lengths in front. Boltoro is closing on the inside. It's Justify by three quarters of a length. Boltoro trying ever so hard, but Justify another exhilarating exhibition by the supremely gifted athlete. He's on a dizzying ascent to greatness, winning the Santa Anita Derby clearly from Baltoro. Yeah, that's that's all. Justifies the horse that people are talking about, right? I mean, at Oakland Park, you heard way more Justify talk than you did Arkansas Derby talk. Really? Yeah, really. That's That was an impressive performance. Well, it's just a weird horse, isn't it? I mean, I don't remember anything quite like this horse in my lifetime. What do you mean? Well, I don't remember a horse looking that spectacular through its first three races, all of them coming within, what, less than what two months, ten weeks before the Derby. So it's, it's just sort of unprecedented. And all of a sudden, this is now the favorite, right? I mean, justifies the favorite to win the Kentucky Derby, and it ran its first race. How long ago was that? Seven weeks ago? Just about, yeah. I don't really remember anything quite like that. But is he seasoned enough to win it? Well, that's that's the question, Mark, and I don't know. See, I wish this horse had come here so that we could have seen a, and not for selfish reasons, I mean, sure, I'd love to watch a race that just runs in, particularly if he goes on to win the Derby, but that aside... I think it would have been nice to see how it handled shipping because that obviously is one thing it hasn't done yet and won't do until it runs in Kentucky. In the three races that Justify has dominated, it's run against a total of 14 other horses. So, you know, it ran against five and five and seven, or it ran in races that had five, five, and seven, including himself. So, you know, that's a... 
I mean, anyone who knows horse racing and knows the Derby knows that that's the weird thing about that race. It's unlike any other race. And it's so different from any race that it will ever run again. Just having 19 other horses in the field. So I think that's a disadvantage to have not faced that kind of competition or that kind of crowd and that kind of circus. Well, we certainly talked about how impressive Justify looked visually and the questions surrounding him. There were two other races that were run on the most recent Derby prep day. It is Vino Rosso in front. Enticed battles him on the inside. And he's coming back with a furlong to run. Oh, what a one this is. It is Vino Rosso in front. Enticed continues to battle him, but Vino Rosso's getting away. Vino Rosso, fantastico, in the Wood Memorial. Good magic to the front of the field in the Toyota Bluegrass to win it for Chad Brown and Jose Ortiz, 150 and 18 hundredths for the nine furlongs. What did you think of the performances of Vino Rosso and Enticed in the Wood and Good Magic in the Bluegrass? Well, the Wood was, that was a nice looking race, wasn't it? I thought Vino Rosso, who I was not familiar with until I watched the race. And, heck, man, that was a nice duel down the stretch. Didn't you think, Barry? Weren't you Visually, impressed? yeah. I, I didn't get the sense that it was a great race. I, I just didn't get the sense that those horses are in the same category with Boltioro, who I think is going to win the Derby, and Justify, who beat him in the Santa Anita Derby. No, you know, okay, yes, I, I will agree. See, I thought the call was spectacular. I thought he did a great job on the call of the race, and I, I, I was really impressed. He made it perhaps sound a little better than it was. Um, <laughs> Larry never. Yes, no, I don't. I got to tell you, and, and I agree with you. I think Bolt Doro is still the favorite, but I don't think Bolt Doro will be the betting favorite. It looks like everyone's jumping on that justified bandwagon. What a great flash in the pan. We'll see. Oh, that'll be good for those of us who know that Bolt Oro is the best horse. <laughs> yes, that's right. Our friend Pete Perkins of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette is with us here on In the Gate. I have one other thing we have to do here before we get out of here. When we're talking about horses who may not have run the most recent weekend, and, you know, it's all out of sight, out of mind, we're going to be asking a lot of people this question over the next month. What about Mendelssohn? Mendelssohn's the one to get. It is jog trotting as they come to the top of the straight. Mendelssohn's out by a half dozen over Raya, but it is Mendelssohn well clear inside the final 250. It's going to make a one-act affair of the UAE derby. Mendelssohn en route perhaps to the Kentucky derby is going to absolutely jog up. Mendelssohn's out by 15 on Raya, battling on re-ride, followed by Goldtown, but what a win by Mendelssohn. Mendelssohn by a conservative... 17 lengths. What do you make of this horse coming here? You know, I don't know what to say about that horse. And it will have to win the Kentucky Derby to convince me that it's good enough to win the Kentucky Derby. That's all it will take. I mean, that's what it will take. Those horses who have come from that part of the world have traditionally, well, you know, I don't have to tell you, you know, they've sucked in the Derby. I mean, they've just stumped. And so it, something that's going to have to happen other than that to prove to me that it can happen. So I, my money will not be on Mendelssohn. And 
Now, I would love to be startled and surprised and see a wonderful performance. I, you know, I'm for I'm for the best horse to win. I don't care. We'll see. What do you think, Barry? I think Boltioro is the best horse. I've said it all along. I thought he should have been the two-year-old champion. Good Magic won one race, albeit an important one, right. and claimed the two-year-old yes. championship. But I think Boltioro is the best horse. Mendelssohn is interesting because, on the one hand, he went right to the lead in the UAE Derby after stumbling out of the gate. And those are two different and very significant things. On the one hand, Europeans do not normally break well out of the gate because that's just not how European races are run. If he walks out of the gate in the Kentucky Derby, his race is over. On the other hand, I think other people will say, well, he was a front runner and went on to win and he won't be able to run that way in the Kentucky Derby. But I don't think he needs to do that. I think the reason it happened in the UAE Derby is because all the main dirt races that day in Dubai were won on the lead. And his jockey, who was the best jockey in the world, Ryan Moore, realized that and said, if we're going to win this race, that's how we have to do it. I don't think he's going to have to do that in the Kentucky Derby. And so I don't think he's the the one-run front-runner thing is an issue with him. My big concern, like I said, is him coming out of the gate. If he walks out of the gate in a 20-horse, two-turn race, it's over. And no one could argue with that. By the way, your assessment of Mendelssohn just then was was fantastic. I'm going to, as soon as I hang up, I'm going to write that down, and I'm going to use that <laughs> argument tomorrow. I'm not normally one well from said. whom you'd want to take advice. I usually ask other people. <laughs> yes, same here. I... I'm still trying to absorb what you've said about Bolt Doro being better than Justify. And I'm not absolutely sure of that yet either. I, I mean, I I know that has been the best horse and certainly was the Kentucky Derby favorite up until two weeks ago, I think. Well, here's the thing. Would you agree that his race two back in the San Felipe, that knockdown drag-out affair with the now-injured McKinsey, is the type sure. of race from which a horse, especially a young horse, could bounce. Yes, obviously that's true. And that that could be the case. I I think there's enough time between those two. For, I'm not certain how significant the bounce is when you're talking, what, four weeks, right? Right. I see that more often when we're talking a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks at the most. I don't, I think there's enough time between those points races in the Kentucky Derby series that the bounce is not as significant just because there's enough time between races. I, I think the fitness advantage it got out of that McKenzie duel, which was, by the way, the best horse race I've seen this year, I think, right? Wasn't that fantastic? You'd be hard-pressed to beat it. So perhaps that that could be accurate, but I... I wouldn't bank on that. So I'm not sure that that's a good excuse for Boldoro. I think Justify looked like much, much the better racehorse on that afternoon this past Saturday. It looked as if he had regained his momentum and was going to win the race. Justify just kind of looked back and said, no, sorry, dude. And really made him, I thought, made him look bad the last 50 yards of that race. Well, with all due respect to 
the December holiday season, I'll go out on a limb and say that this is the most wonderful time of the year. It's going to be a fun month to try to break all this down. And so thank you for kicking that off for us, Pete Perkins in Arkansas. We look forward to it. Thanks so much for being here. All right, man. I hope to speak to you before long and uh, enjoy the Derby. Our thanks to Pete Perkins and to Evan Trommer. Dale Romans has two candidates for the Derby and one for the Oaks, which means his profile will be raised for a while. He's using this opportunity to stump for a fellow trainer who spent the last five years off in exile. Rick Dutrow won the Kentucky Derby in Preakness with Big Brown, who he admitted received a steroid regularly. Dutrow was cited over 80 times for chemical violations, so New York banished him effectively. The trainer dropped his appeals in January of 2013 and has fallen on hard times, reportedly. Dale Romans says that Rick Dutrow has suffered long enough. Last year, he filed for personal bankruptcy. Even if you have some sympathy for Rick Dutrow, the optics here would really not look good. Horse racing needs to spiff up its image when it comes to controlling drugs, so keep the ban as New York surely should. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us on the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.